From time to time, I have woken up with a gasp, like this. <gasps> Sometimes it's because it's a dream. Sometimes it's because I'm subconsciously going over all the things in my mind of what I need to do that day, and I'm panicking. <gasps> Sometimes I have no clue why I'm gasping. <gasps> and Jenny will say, what's wrong? What's wrong? Throughout this series, I have admitted to you, your pastor is a natural worrier. In life, there are Kirks and Spocks, right? Kirks and Spocks. The Kirks in life look at a problem, a situation, and say to themselves, eh, we're going to be fine. The Spocks in life say, Captain, there is a 98.1% chance the warp core will breach, destroying the Enterprise and killing all crew on board. Kirk looks at that and says, oh, I've got a 1.9% chance. We're fine. Everything's going to be okay. So you're either a Kirk or a Spock. I happen to be a Spock. I have had and have sometimes control issues. I'm a recovering perfectionist. When it comes to fears and worst case scenarios, I have been an expert. But I'm not the man that I used to be. Gang, here's the simple thing for today. I want you to trust God. I want you to worry less. And I know for some of you, this is going to be hard because you're not sure that you can really count on God. And I know it's hard in part because our culture is soaked in fear. We're afraid to let our kids play several blocks away. There could be a predator. We're afraid that there's something lurking in the food we eat. That's why we shop at Aldi's. We're looking at the labels. Is it gluten-free? Is it certified GMO? <laughs> I don't even know what the labels mean. We're afraid of the next random act of violence, or for any of us who travel down US 27, that there, we're not going to be the next people that are smacked in front of coals. There's a lot of reasons to be afraid. And our politicians make it worse, right? Because they capitalize on fear. You got to vote for us. If you don't vote for us, they're going to take away your rights to marry. If you don't vote for us, they're going to take away your guns. Oh, beware. The media doesn't help, do they? If you watch Dateline NBC, all it is is stuff like this. Tonight on Dateline, we expose a six-month report, investigative report in your town's water supply. What you don't know lurking in your pipes may be making your family sick, <laughs> right? And it's one thing after another. Pastors do the same thing. Pastors will stand up. 15 out of every 10 high school students is going to walk away from church. We've got to do something. And you're like, wait a minute. I got 50, <laughs> right? Okay. It's hard to trust God and worry less when we're not so sure that God is good involved or cares about the things that we care about does this outfit work is my hair okay is anyone going to notice this pimple are the kids doing okay in school should we worry about them are they going to turn out right should i let her go to this party can i really trust him to make the wise decision you are coming home at right after prom right am i going to be able to retire is my health going to hold out honey am i Am I getting fat? Do you think I'm getting fat? Like, there are all these things that go through our minds all the times. Jesus, I want to remind you, knows what it is to be human. Jesus knows what it is to be human. He knows what it is to suffer loss. 
Jesus knows what it is to suffer betrayal. He knows what it is to see the wonderful, providential, miraculous workings of God. He knows what it is to see people go unhealed, like in his own hometown of Nazareth. Jesus knows what it is to want an outcome that's free of pain and suffering. Father, let this cup pass, and yet have to face it anyway. Jesus gets fear and faith. He does. Ironically, fear and faith have to do with the same thing, uncertainty. Fear is 100, fear is, I'm not 100% certain of the outcome, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be bad, really, really bad. We're all going to die. Faith is, I'm not 100% sure of the outcome, but I think I'm going to be okay. God's got this. God's got me. Jesus takes our faith and fear very seriously. The one statement he made more than any other is don't be afraid. He says that time and time again. Matthew 10. So don't be afraid. You're worth much more than many sparrows. Matthew 9. Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Matthew 6. I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough. Luke 8. Don't be afraid, just believe, and your daughter will be well. Matthew 14, take courage, I'm here. Matthew 10, don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Luke 12, don't fear, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. I'll come and get you so that you will always be where I am. John 14, don't be troubled or afraid. Luke 24, why are you frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Matthew 24, oh, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Matthew 17, Jesus came and touched them and said, arise, don't be afraid. According to Max Lucado, no one has ever said, Boy, fear sure has put a spring in my step. No one has ever said, I'm so glad I'm a pessimist. You know, it's made me a better person. <laughs> no one has ever said, my doctor told me that if I don't start fretting and panicking and freaking out, I'm going to lose my health. <laughs> no one has ever said those things. No one. Jesus wants us to stop worrying and trust God. And he spells this out in Matthew chapter 6, which is where we're going to be today. R.T. France, who is a very heady theologian, his commentary on Matthew is about this thick. He says this, The simple analogy here is worth many paragraphs of reasoned argument. The meaning is simple but undeniable. So according to Rick Warren, Jesus lays out five reasons in Matthew chapter 6, why we should stop worrying. The first is found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Worry is unreasonable. Jesus says this, That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? The word used there for worry can sometimes be translated distracted. 
Like when Martha was distracted and fretting about all the preparations and freaking out because Mary wasn't doing her fair share. The word worry there can also, in other passages, mean to choke or strangle. Distracted, choked, strangled. Does that sound good to you? No. No. I tell you not to worry. He's giving a command in this passage. Apparently, worrying is something that you and I can dial up and dial down. We have some control over worry in our life. Unlike a lot of emotions. Uh, for example, the Bible never tells us, don't be angry. It just says, in your anger, don't sin. But with worry, apparently, we have some control. And Jesus is saying, look, you have life, you have a body. Those are the two most important things about you right now, and you didn't have anything to do with that. You can trust God with the big stuff and the little stuff. Verse 26, worry is unnatural. Jesus says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Your father, not the bird's father, your father feeds the birds. Now, I don't see lazy birds. They're busy making nests. They look for worm. I mean, they do their job. But worry is unnatural because I don't know if you know this or not, but birds don't worry, trees don't worry. Cats don't worry. Dogs don't worry. As much as you think he's fretting about you coming home or not, nothing in all of creation worries except us humans. We're the worriers. Verse 27, worry is unhelpful. Jesus says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Jesus is saying worry is unproductive. It's not going to do anything for you. It's futile. In fact, the only thing that worry can do is it can make you stressed out. It can give you body aches, headaches, stomach aches. And if you get sick, it can make that illness 10 times worse. Worry is unhelpful. Verse 28, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Worry is unnecessary because God provides. He's talking about flowers and Solomon's robes. And he's saying, look, if God cares about flowers and provides what they need, he certainly cares about you. Um, Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he'll certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Little faith is convinced that God can't or won't. Little faith is convinced that you've got to take care of it yourself because you can't really count on God. In the Bible, in the texts, little faith is not necessarily no faith. It's just faith that isn't working right. It's like an arm or a body part or an organ that isn't working right. It's not healthy. It's not doing what it should do. Lastly, Jesus in verse 31 and following says, worry is actually unchristian. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your father already knows all your needs. 
These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. In other words, he's saying, basically, if you're worrying all the time, you're in all practical reality a, a non-Christian. You're operating as if there's no God, there's nobody to help you, there's nothing that can be done. Let me ask a couple of questions from this passage in Matthew. If, if God were more involved in your finances, more involved in your relationships, more involved at your job, more involved with all of the things that you have on your plate, would you be more secure or less secure? If God were involved. And then secondly, do you believe that God's love and grace are infinite and renewable? Or do you believe that they're finite and in short supply? In other words, how big is your God? Jesus maps out actually in this passage what to do with it. In Matthew chapter 6, verse uh, 33, is the first one. He says this, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and you'll have everything that you need. It's a promise. If you'll be about my needs, helping the poor, advancing the kingdom, I'll be about your needs. It doesn't mean you get everything you want, but it does mean you can ask God for what you need. Last week, I was at Asbury University, and I was helping out with seniors who are going to graduate, and they do a mock interview. And there was a student, a senior, um, and there were two other interviewers with me. One is in his 60s, and the other is in her 70s. And when we got done, uh, Claire, one of the older folks, asked, do you have any questions of us? And her question was, well, yeah, I've been really struggling you know, I'm making money consistently, and I think I should be giving back part of that to God, but maybe part of me is thinking I should wait until later. I'm just not sure if I write this check that I'll have what I need to get set up for my apartment. And then Claire and Jan just started laughing, and they shared one story after another. Oh, we used to think the same way. But we've, Jan was like, I've been faithful now for 40-some years of my life, and everything I've needed, God's come through for me. And she told like three stories in a row, and then Claire jumped right in and said, oh, let me tell you, I've got stories of my own. When we were young and married, and we wrote that check, we just weren't, and so by the time it was all done, the, the student, the senior goes, oh, so what you're saying is, I can trust God. Ding! Hey, <laughs> she gets it, Okay. <laughs> If you'll be about my needs, seek first the kingdom of God. If I were to hire a private detective and investigate your phone records, your bank records, your calendar, what's going on, all the stuff on your plate, would that private detective conclude that God is maybe a top five priority for you? Or would he make the top ten? And what would the evidence that he would have that, or she would have that they would use to, to determine that? Put God first. That's the first point of application. Put God first. You'll worry less when God's first. And the thing I found about God in reading this book cover to cover 20-some times, he doesn't like playing second fiddle. I don't know if you've noticed this, but with the Israelites, with the grand story of salvation from cover to cover, he really wants to be first. He does. The second point of application Jesus makes is in verse 34. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring on its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. 
In other words, live one day at a time. I've often wondered, because I'm a nervous Nelly, like if I were on a plane that was crashing, how would I handle that? If I were to have some big, huge medical thing hit me, like how would I be able to walk that out? And when you think about those things, you're actually borrowing trouble. You don't, that's down the road, that's future, that's tomorrow. God says he'll give you the grace, he'll give you what you need for the day, today, which is why we have the story of manna in the Old Testament. If you were here that week, remember, manna was this giant 40-year examination with the people of Israel. Do you trust me? Ding, you got manna again today. Do you trust me? Ding, you got manna again today. Do you trust me? Ding. (laughs) And sure enough, after they got into the promised land, it wasn't but a few years before it was like, we can't count on God. We need a king of our own. We need this. We need that. Okay, one day at a time. The last thing is found in Matthew 6, verse 30. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he'll care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Trust God for the things that are beyond your control. Here's worry and faith move in opposite directions. If worry comes in the front door, faith goes out the back door. They're they're pulling and pushing against each other. Here's what I know about you. If the long arc of your life is a life filled with worry, it's going to push faith out of your heart. And here's what I know about faith from Mark 9. With faith, all things are possible. You'll miss out on some amazing things if you let faith get pushed out the back door. I, I know this to be true. My, I've told, I'm going to share a few stories I've shared before and some I haven't. My second year at college, I showed up. I had worked hard all summer. I wrote a check for tuition and I didn't have money for books. And I was freaking out and I thought, how am I going to stay at college? I can't afford the books. I'm going to have to go in, ask for my money back and go back home. God, God, please provide what I need. I prayed. I had my floor mates pray for me. And the day before I was going to pull the trigger, one of my floor mates came, came in, slipped a check under my dorm room door. He had emptied out half of his checkbook, given me half of his money, which was just enough to buy books. Coincidence? Maybe. After moving into our house, we had one month where everything broke all at the same time. Boom, 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 boom. We emptied out our emergency fund, and then to add insult to injury, the water heater went kaboom at the last minute, and it was $850. It was basically our mortgage payment. And, and I was fretting. I was like, God, you know, and I'd thought, man, if I just had that money I had written to God in the church at the beginning of the month, I'd be set like a pine. And I was, God, you know, the funny thing is, the day before the mortgage was due, a check came in the mail for something I had done several months earlier. And do you know how much the check was for? $850. Coincidence? Maybe. Maybe. In 2010, my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. God heal him. God heal him. God heal him. A year and a couple of months later, he died. In looking back, God gave me grace every single day for what I needed. And you know what? Upon hindsight and reflection... I actually see God differently now in the wake of that. I see God as a loving father 
who's involved in my life and I can count on him. Hmm, coincidence? Maybe. In 2003, when we were going to fretting about should we start a church in Nicholasville should we not and we just Jenny and I both felt like maybe we should and we weren't sure what to do and we we were we 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 had clarity but we just didn't have courage because we were afraid and so we fleeced God we basically prayed a prayer at the edge of my bed and we were like oh God if you really want this to happen which we're sure you know we don't want to do and we don't want to commit to this you know you need to give Jenny a job today at one of these two schools now we prayed that prayer two days before school started the, the school job board was empty. They had filled all the positions, so we were pretty sure whew, we wouldn't have to worry about this decision anymore. But Jenny went and came back an hour later with a job at one of the two schools we had fleeced God about. And as coincidence would have it, that principal the night before had had a veteran quit on him. And he prayed, God, send me a Christian teacher who's a seasoned veteran that I can count on. I can't hire another first-year teacher. And so, boom. Coincidence? Maybe. You'll have to decide what's coincidence and what's God. But from where I stand, God's been pretty heavily involved in my life. And gang, he doesn't love me more than he loves you. He doesn't. God doesn't have favorites. There aren't some people, there aren't Mother Teresa's and Billy Graham's that God just loves more because they're Billy Graham or Mother Teresa. God loves you every bit as much as he loves me. Look, I'm not surprised that we're living in an age of anxiety. We Americans, we talk about karma. We talk about fate. We live our lives as though God isn't real or isn't involved. But that's not what I see in Scripture. They agree with me. That's not what I see in Scripture. God was with Abraham and Sarah. God was at work in the lives of Abraham and Sarah, and they had a son. God was with and at work Joseph. He went to jail. That boy went to prison. And yet, God was with and at work in the life of Joseph. God was at with and at work in the life of Moses. God was with and at work the lives of the Israelites as they wandered through the desert. He was at work and with and in love of David and Hezekiah and a number of kings. And he was with and at work in the life of Jesus. God isn't going to free you from trouble, but he wants to free you from worry so that you can see that he is everything he says he is. In Matthew 10, verses 28 to 31, Jesus says this, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. What? Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't touch your soul. Fear only God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What's the price of two sparrows? One copper coin. But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. There's that phrase again, your father and the very hairs on your head are all numbered so don't be afraid you're far more valuable to god than a whole flock of sparrows the very hairs on your head are numbered you know hair is an interesting thing my mom changes her hair color every six months oh you're a redhead oh you've got blonde highlights oh you're a brunette People change their color. People change their styles. I went in to get my hair cut this week, and I told him, you know, I'm ready to do something different. I want to grow it all out and have it just be combed back and really long in the back. 
because I'm almost 50 and I don't care anymore what people think. And the, the guy who cuts my hair looked at me and then he cut my hair the way he always does. <laughs> there are some people that are going bald, but you know not a single one of us counts the hair follicles. Not even those of us that are losing our precious hair follicles. We don't count it. But your father knows the numbers of hair follicles on your head. That's how valuable you are to him. Don't be afraid. God's got this. God's got you. In John chapter 16, he says this, Jesus, verse 33, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart. I have overcome the world. God's got this. God's got you. Don't be afraid. 